Yeah, so welcome inside a Tuesday edition of the program. Power Tucker Muncie, the new WMUN. Lots to get to today. Glad you're with us. It's Bowl State Men's Basketball Pivotal Matchup tonight. Bowling Green in town. We'll talk to Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News. He normally joins us on Tuesday, and we'll do so again today. As Again, I have a question, and... Um, I'm curious the answer, and I don't necessarily want it to come across as the way the question might hit um, initially, and that is, what has changed for Ball State men's basketball for this team the last two weeks? Has it been more of a product of uh, of the teams they've faced or things that they have progressed on and there is nobody that has watched this team more closely or as closely there's several members of the Bull State media that follow this team consistently uh Kyle Smedley really good uh, uh reporter for the Bull State Daily News I want to I, I want to ask him that question I'm curious um what what his thoughts are on it so we'll get to that uh Pacers in action tonight Boston Celtics again uh Pacers have really done a great job in that series you know every major Eastern Conference team they have taken care of Um, they've taken care of some Western Conference teams as well you know the big Phoenix win that they had um, last weekend so another big matchup in the uh, big old question tonight is Tyrese Halliburton gonna play we uh, we haven't gotten confirmation as to one way or the other where he is uh, leaning so we'll dive into that topic as well here in a little bit also um this is not exactly a topic that we were going to bring on to the show today, but as I was uh, perusing social media, so I was taking a look at some different things for topics of the show today. We were uh, going to talk just a slight bit of NFL today, um, but I don't even know what account it was, but it had the cap hits for the Indianapolis Colts of their current um uh, the, the, their their current, I guess, cap outlook. So the way this works is, uh, again, NFL contracts are very, very, very complex in a lot of different ways. But, um, you know, some different, um, you know, contractual related things um, goes by base salary to signing bonus to uh, incentives to all those different things. But you might be surprised or maybe you're not uh, to take a look at the top five cap hits for the Indianapolis Colts coming up uh, this uh, th- this season, and also where some other players may rank in cap hits uh, for the Indianapolis Colts right now, and comparing it to other teams across the league. A- and one of the things that I think I find very interesting about it is there are certain positions that are certainly emphasized and one position in general is very, very emphasized. And then there's a couple that kind of make you scratch your head, not necessarily um, the position, but the quality of player at said position and what their cap hit really, really is. And it might give you an even deeper look into just how much Chris Ballard really hadn't invested in uh, free agency and how how much it's really been about keeping their own in-house. 
Um, very interesting stuff coming up here in, in a little bit. So I've got that spreadsheet, if you will, kind of listed out right here. And, and it is really, really um, interesting and puzzling in some areas, and I'll point those out coming up here in a little bit on the program here. So uh, your calls are welcome at 765-287-1340 at MarkWMUN on Twitter as well. So I brought up the question a moment ago, and this might be a focus of uh, where we go on the show today, but I think you're going to find out this week, and again, we go by results, right? Um, before, if you remember a couple of weeks back, uh, the, the the week that Ball State men's basketball had against Akron and Toledo, respectively, Ball State competed well in both of those games, Akron at home, Toledo on the road, and you just had a feeling of progress being made, yet uh, they were both in losses, but the 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 predominant message was yeah they're taking steps you've got um this this and this to kind of look forward to and then the last couple of weeks you win three of four so those results have come out in large part maybe because of the progress you experienced the week or two earlier and so this week kind of feels a little bit of a combination of those two weeks like okay you had the really nice um, competitive results against Akron and Toledo respectively I think you weren't very pleased with the way uh, you closed the game against Akron Toledo you felt like you had chances uh, also close but it catapulted you into three out of four right now that you're in the midst of that you know winning uh, you know three out of four uh, obviously and so you come into this week and I don't think you can go back to feeling good about the way you competed against teams like Bowling Green, which is tonight at Warthen Arena, and then Western Michigan coming on Saturday. Both of the teams are 5-3, and three, so they're just a step below of where Toledo and Akron are at 7-1 and one apiece. So I look at this week feeling as though that this is probably the most important week of the year for Ball State Mitch basketball. And if you asked uh, the coaches, players, again, they're always on to the next result. They're always on to the next game. And it's not really in a week span, but for all intents and purposes, I'm focusing on this week because I think the two matchups um, are going to say a lot about where you are currently and where you are headed. It's kind of interesting because tonight – you will go across and look at Ball State being a favorite tonight. Now, is that a product of what they've accomplished over the last couple of weeks? Is that a product of them being at home? But Bowling Green is a 14-6 and team. They're 5-3 and in the Mid-American Conference, and yet they come into Warden Arena tonight as an underdog, which is kind of interesting um, overall. And, you know, again um, – the, the betting lines and all those sorts of things. Again, we don't get into a lot of that stuff, but I, I have a general amount of curiosity as to why that's the case tonight. Not that Ball State doesn't, doesn't deserve it, and they're uh, taking that to heart saying, oh, yeah, we're the favorites. we got to defend home turf. I think you're always defending home turf, but I find it very, very interesting that that is kind of the mindset or the feeling externally tonight in a lot of ways. So, again... I do think the last three weeks have been very important for this basketball team. You can't take that step back. You can only take steps forward. And, of course, uh, Bashir Jihad's been a big part of it. But I think the development 
of the guard play. And now you go a little bit three deep in guard play, adding Trent Middleton Jr. into the mix. Davion Bailey and Jalen Anderson, they've locked the most minutes in the backcourt, but you go three deep now as that is the case. I want to bring up a player, though, that may have gone under the radar. I don't know if Mickey Pearson Jr. had a great start to the season, had a great um, you know, uh, matchup against uh, in non-conference play. Uh, by the way, Ethan Harriet saying uh, Bowling Green a one-and-a-half point favor. I see it um, on, on different sites being different lines. So, yeah, it's the fact it's even or not a foregone conclusion that Bowling Green still comes in as a as a odds-on um, overall fit. It's, it's just kind of interesting. So I appreciate I appreciate that, Ethan. Yeah, um, because I'm seeing multiple things as well. Um, as far as the line tonight. But, um, you know, um, I think Mickey Pearson Jr. is such an important player for this basketball team. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this team has played better as Mickey Pearson has started to get his groove over the last couple of weeks. And you know what? You're not asking Mickey Pearson Jr. to be someone that's putting up 15, 16, 17 points per game. That's not his game. But his length... And effectiveness as an inside-out player and as a defender um, has been needed for this basketball team, and he's slowly starting to come along in that regard. You know, um, I think by default, because he was on such a successful team last year and came in as one of the two most experienced players coming back, you may be expected a lot more from him. And it's taken him a little bit more time to kind of get in rhythm and figure out who he is in this version of this basketball team. I think that's fair to say. And over the last couple, you have seen him, you know, put up a like a nine to ten point performance, grab five or six rebounds, three or four assists, and affect things from a steal and a block standpoint. I mean, that's that's ultimately what you need from him. You don't need him to put up 16, 17, 20, whatever points a game. That's not really his game. But the all-around stat sheet stuffing sort of mentality is kind of what you need from Mickey Pearson Jr. I don't know if his role is all that different on paper than it looked like a year ago. But, you know, there's just a feeling like there's an activity level to him over the last couple that is really nice to see. Because clearly the focus has gone on Bashir and it's gone on the backcourt and doing the different things that Anderson and Bailey have done. But you need that steadiness from Mickey Pearson Jr., who's a little bit positionless out there. Um, He can play on the perimeter. He can play in the post. He's got the length and athleticism to do a lot of different things for you. So um, that is really nice to see. But um, I think the mentality has to be this. You do not want to take steps back. And, um, you know, it's been nice to win three out of four. That's been great. But you want to keep that momentum going. And I I read it in the Ball State Daily News. It might have been an article from Zach Carter, maybe Kyle Smedley as well. But the players acknowledge the, the urgency is going to grow and the competition is going to get stiffer. 
And I have a feeling that reference had to do with what was coming up this week, at the very least. You know you're going to see Akron and Toledo later in the month of February, uh, but this is a very important week. No, it doesn't maybe rise to the level of what Akron and Toledo were back-to-back, but at the end of the day, I I think if you want to – be in the upper half of the Mid-American Conference, you have to have a great week this week. And so, um, you know, Marcus Hill's a really good player from Bowling Green. He's averaging about 21 a game. You know, he he probably rises to the top of the scouting report right at the top here. But this is a Bowling Green team that um, can score. They're very similar from a number standpoint to what you are. Uh, They average 76 points per game, give up 71, shoot about 45%, 38 rebounds, 11 assists. I mean, you're all well around that. So um, at the very least, I expect this to be a very even game tonight. But as we've gone through the weeks, I just get more and more convinced, no matter what the other team has to offer, you may have the biggest uh, mismatch matchup. Say that five times fast. Mismatch matchup uh, in Bashir Jihad. Feel that way, not because of um, him coming off a player of the week performance, nothing like that. Um, it's really just what he's done from an offensive standpoint has been very, very impressive. And uh, he's playing with a lot, a lot of confidence. He's a good rebounder. He's a good defender. He's all of those things for you. And so um, at the end of the day, that's kind of this matchup tonight for Ball State men's basketball that they have a real opportunity to kind of attach themselves to the upper half of the conference this week. So right now, the standings are as follows. Ball State at 3-5 and five in Mid-American Conference play. They're one of two teams there. Bowling Green is one of two teams at 5-3, and three, um, along with Western Michigan, who you'll see later in the week. So th- this means a lot to Bowling Green because Bowling Green would love to get into that top three would love to start to kind of just threaten Akron and Toledo a little bit. Central Michigan's kind of standing alone in that respect. So this means a lot for both teams. Ball State can kind of grab Bowling Green and bring him back down to the middle while Ball State rises to the middle of the conference. So, and then Bowling Green could create some separation between themselves and the four and four and five and three teams because they would go to six and three tonight so you see how tight and how every game kind of matters here but as you look at it for ball state i think it's very simple they you know had a great week couple weeks back uh, of just competing and progressing but then the last couple of weeks They've closed out those games. They've won those games. Yes, they had one game of heartbreak in the middle of that. But that being said, they are a different basketball team than they were a couple, three weeks back. Or at least that's the feeling right now. Now you have an opportunity to start this week with two games. One, uh, the first one at home and against Bowling Green and show it. And this would be a major win if they were able to get this one tonight. Uh, because, again, as we mentioned, the the, the, the kind of tug of the Mid-American Conference, now you can bring a t- team down with you and you can rise up in the rankings. It's kind of interesting because a couple weeks ago, this these standings looked a lot different for Ball State. They were second to last in the MAC at 0-4. And now they're 3-5. and 
So it's amazing how quickly things have shifted, and uh, the matchup looks like a good one for Ball State men's basketball, but they got to take care of business out on the floor tonight. So again, uh, expect a big game from Bashir Jihad. Um, can you get that balance from your backcourt, and can Mickey Pearson do his thing, uh, as we've seen over the last couple? Love it uh, to, to, to see what happens tonight. So a big one at Warthen Arena tonight. Um, got to like the feeling that Ball State kind of has going into this game. But um, as Michael Lewis has said all year long, look, this is a team that is still learning, experience as well, and can they show, again, just how big of a statement that it would be to show the progress and and you don't have to talk about the experience and those sorts of things that they're showing it by the results. It's kind of kind of to that point because coming up on Thursday, we enter the month of February, which means there is a month left in the regular season. There is a month left in conference play to position yourselves in the conference. And then really the second week of March is when you play in the Mid-American Conference Tournament, or that's the hope. So it's not that far away. And what you do right now does matter. What you did early on certainly mattered. It mattered for your record. The, 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 every game matters in the conference. You hear that cliche all the time. But this is kind of urgency stuff right here. The, the, this, this is where you separate yourself or you attach yourself to certain places in the standings in the Mid-American Conference, and, and that's where tonight kind of plays into all of it. So it's Bowling Green. It is Ball State tonight. 7 o'clock is the tip-off from More Than Arena. Thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live. Yes, I'm looking at it. And uh, the line is Bowling Green by a point and a half. But uh, for all intents and purposes, that's a pick em. Uh, I mean, that, that is such a small margin um, overall. And um, I appreciate it, uh, Ethan Harriet, who listens to this show frequently for setting me straight again. I'm not perfect. I, I miss those from time to time. I was looking at the wrong site the wrong day. And, um, but at the end of the day, one and a half uh, in a, in a Mid-American Conference basketball game is very, very thin margins right there. It's going to be a competitive game tonight. So Ball State Bowling Green men's basketball tonight. You can hear the coverage right here on the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN pregame coverage starts at 6.40 this evening right here. I, um, I mentioned this a moment ago. The Indianapolis Colts and cap hits going into next year. Um, look, I'm not into a lot of this stuff, but I do find it interesting based on what you see uh, with the cap hits coming up, and it, and it glares out at you in, in a variety of ways. Okay, And I'll tell you what that is how you can be critical of Chris Boward and how you can see a total emphasis on one part of your franchise. And we'll talk about that when we return on a Tuesday edition of The Power. This is the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. As always, presented by Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Road and Muncie online at Walls Furniture. Dot com. 90% of what's on the showroom for in stock for you, 48 hours or less. Go check out that vast showroom on Nebo Road in Muncie and get something quickly. Again, 9 out of 10 items you see on that floor in stock, 48 hours or less. That is the walls, furniture, and mattress difference. There is no waiting around. When you need it, you get it quickly. 
and high quality at Walls Furniture and Mattress on Nebo Road in Muncie and online at wallsfurniture.com. Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News going to join us coming up just after 440 on the program today. So th- there are times on this show, and I've told you before that, you know, I have an idea of where we're headed with certain topics on the show. And this is one that really, I was scrolling through social media and I saw it. Somebody had a spreadsheet or something that listed out the cap hits for the Indianapolis Colts coming up in 2024. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm just generally curious. And I looked at the top five cap hits and I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And so then I pulled up the website, which is uh, SpotTrack.com, and I guess it lists out every single NFL team and the individual players and their cap hits and the total uh, salary cap that is given to players and what you have left. So the salary cap is $250 million, okay? In active contracts, the Indianapolis Colts have 180 million wrapped up, with 8 million um, already in dead cap, and 2023 rollover of another 8 million. So, you, so you kind of put all that together, and the estimated cap space the Colts have is 61 million dollars for this upcoming year. Okay, so again. Um, We're going to go through this, and I think it might be a tad eye-opening in some cases. So let's move forward here. So the top five cap hits for the Indianapolis Colts in 2024, it starts with Quentin Nelson at $25,200,000. He makes up 10% of the cap hit for the Indianapolis Colts. Next is DeForest Buckner at 22.7. He makes up 9% of the cap percentage for the Indianapolis Colts that's given out right now. Then you have right tackle Braden Smith at 16-6. That's 6% of the cap. Ryan Kelly, the center, 14,600,000. Uh, 14, uh, uh, He's 5% of the cap. And then the new deal for Jonathan Taylor lands him at number five for the Indianapolis Colts, $10,600,000. He makes up 4% of the cap. Okay? So if you total up that uh, amount and look at the three offensive linemen that are in the top five, that is a grand total of 21% of the cap of the Indianapolis Colts with Quentin Nelson's making up nearly 10% of the invested cap in uh, in the National Football League for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I knew that Quentin Nelson's number was going to be high. I ne- I didn't know it was 10%. And when you look at that and you say a guard, and I get the the offensive line was better this year, but you're like, okay, all right. And then you keep going down and you say, okay, Braden Smith, who was injured for the majority of the year, 6% of the cap, and he played maybe half the games. That's interesting. Ryan Kelly is starting to get up there in age, even though he was named to the Pro Bowl uh, as, a, as a, a reserve. He makes up 5% of the cap, but... You know, I, I get the whole trenches thing. I do. I, I understand all of that. That's the mentality of Chris Bauer. That really isn't going to change whether I talk about it to I'm blue in the face on the air or not. 
But if I were to tell you 21% of the cap for the Indianapolis Colts is wrapped up into three players and they all play on the offensive line, how would you feel? How would you feel? You know, and I, I, I get it. This isn't a perfect apples-to-apples comparison. But I'm just going to bring this up. The San Francisco 49ers, overall, they have $273 million wrapped up in the, the, the cap in 2024. They are over on cap space, but they have a lot, of, uh, a lot already um, predetermined. Here are their top five cap hits. Trent Williams at 31-5. Debo Samuel at 28-6. Eric Armstead, a defensive end, at 28-3. Fred Warner, an inside linebacker, at 24-4. And George Kittle at 21-9. Now, every one of those players are elite. Every single one of those players are absolutely positively elite. But you can see that those are spread around. You got a left tackle, you have a wide receiver, you have a defensive end, inside linebacker, and uh, and a tight end. Did you know the Indianapolis Colts have Mo Ali Cox as their seventh biggest cap hit at 5900000 and he makes up 3% of the cap? Like, okay... Molly Cox is a nice piece to have, but when he is the guy that is your seventh cap hit on the team, should that say a lot about your current roster construction? And, and, and let, me, let me help you understand where I'm kind of headed with this, okay? The San Francisco 49ers drafted about half of what they have on their roster right now. Trent Williams was a trade. They brought him in. Okay, um, Javon Hargrave was an offseason signing. Christian McCaffrey was a trade. And I, I understand that they get high, high level and they're in a win-win-now approach. I, I totally understand that. But there is you know, a strategy of paying your own, which San Francisco's done. But they have also gone out and gotten talent that's going to put them over the edge. Like Javon Hargrave. For, for San Francisco, they went and got him in free agency, the highest-paid defensive tackle in the game. You know, they, they went out and did that. Okay? In this structure for the Indianapolis Colts, the only player that they have really gone out there and sought is DeForest Buckner. Um, ironically, from the San Francisco 49ers, they traded for him. And they brought him in. Pretty much everything else has been homegrown. Nelson. Smith, Kelly, Taylor, Richardson, Cox, Speed, Pay, Doolin, Franklin, Odangbo, Brents. I'm going up and down the list. Pierce, Jelani Woods, Bernard Ryman. I really haven't gotten it to anybody that has been acquired by the Indianapolis Colts, whether that be free agency or whether that be trade, okay? Every team in the NFL... This goes for the Chiefs. This goes for the Lions. This goes for every successful team this year, the Baltimore Ravens. You go get veterans. You go pay them. You go trade for them. You give up draft assets as a result of it. Because if you're in win-now mode, yes, there's a certain amount of replenishing and having a great base with your draft, and that's great. That's awesome. But if you are in a mode where you can win right now, use it and use it wisely. Now, 
the 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 a thousand pound elephant in the room is that they're paying Brock Purdy just under a million dollars. The Indianapolis Colts have Anthony Richardson on his rookie deal for the next three years. Now is the time to be aggressive. Now is the time. To, I, I would love to see this cap hit look a little bit differently and somebody be inserted in there. And maybe Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be that guy. But, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. making $22 million, I guess that's the going rate and you got to do it. But why can't you use some draft capital to go get somebody that's going to make you better in the short term rather than, you know, just – drafting hey they played really well for us let's sign them up again look at the san francisco 49ers look at the kansas city chiefs i mean look at these cap hits and look at these teams and what they've done to go out and get talent and bring players in that increase the window for right now yeah maybe san francisco in a you know a couple three years may not be at the top of the top because they went all in can they afford christian mccaffrey can they afford debo samuel george kittle is trent williams going to play forever no but they know their window's short and they went out and got it and they said you know what we don't care about the future this is what the rams did okay this is what the rams did they went after it you know, I know the Kansas City's doing the longevity play with Mahomes and all those different things, but, man, if you have an opportunity right now to make your roster great and go out and get veterans, do it. But I was just floored by the, the, the cap situation and it all being extremely concentrated on three offensive linemen. Got to diversify it, man. If you want to compete in today's NFL, you have to have another skill player in there or something along those lines. All right, uh, we're going to come back, talk Pacers. Kyle Smedley here in a little bit. Brought to you by State Farm agent Jason May. Make sure you get all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747-7100 today. Boston Celtics, Indiana Pacers tonight. We're still waiting to get confirmation if Tyrese Halliburton will play or not, but another big matchup in the Eastern Conference. And I think the Eastern Conference is starting to identify the Indiana Pacers as a major threat, and they should. They absolutely should because they, they, the Pacers have put themselves in that category, consistently contending with the top teams in the league, and um, there you are. So I just saw this, and um, <laughs> wow. Um, I guess because of all of the other options, a quarterback in the AFC, from an alternate standpoint in the Pro Bowl, the list – Got down to Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is going to be an alternate in this upcoming Pro Bowl. Yeah, you're hearing that right. Gardner Minshew, I I don't want to sound disrespectful. I I just don't. But just look through the numbers this year and and, and look at where Gardner Minshew ranked, folks. I mean, this is why the, the, the Pro Bowl is... I'm sorry, where, where, where the Pro Bowl is. I, it, it, flat out, that's insane. I was just saying. That, flat out, it, that, that, that's insane. You know, I, I know we all love Gardner and uh, what he did, stepping in and all those different things, and I love his competitiveness and all those different things, and he played better over the second half of the season. But, folks, come on. <laughs> come on. Gardner Minshew, a Pro Bowler. 
Like that's going to go on uh, on the list of things. And uh, hey, look, I'm, it's not like he shouldn't accept it. I'm not I'm not mad at him. I'm just sitting there and Gardner Minshew is going to be a Pro Bowl alternate. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I just, I don't want to sound disrespectful, so I will move on from it. But I, I just saw that uh, along with two other Colts players that are now alternates, Gardner Minshew, one of them. All righty then. Um, big matchup for the Indianapolis Colts coming up to, or, or for the Indianapolis Colts, for the Paul State Cardinals uh, tonight as they face off against Bowling Green. Again, coverage can be heard right here on the Talk Monty, the new WMUN. Mick Tidrow and the crew will have it all coming up a little bit later this evening. Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News has been covering uh, Ball State men's basketball all year, has been joining us each and every Tuesday on the program, and he will do so right after this break on the power. This is the talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. Back for final time on a Tuesday edition of the program. Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. Glad you're with us. As always, brought to you by Sheriff Gosselin. Roofing, your roof is there to protect your family. Make sure you're doing all you can to protect them. Sheriff Gosselin Roofing has been helping families for generations. Remember to call Pete Dahlia or look them up at worryfreeroof.com. As Ball State men's basketball a matchup with Bowling Green tonight at Warden Arena. And the man that will be covering it for the Ball State Daily News, Kyle Smedley, joins us each and every Tuesday with us. Right now, um, Kyle, jumping right into it, this has kind of been the theme of, of the show today in previewing this matchup. So I'll ask you uh, your thoughts on this question. Um the, the 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 three out of four that Ball State has won over the last two weeks, um, in, in in your mind, and I don't, I mentioned this, I don't want this to come across as uh, any sort of disrespect in any way, but I want your opinion on more about the opponents that Ball State faced, or more about the progress and how how Ball State's a better team over the last two weeks. Well, um, I'll say it's a bit of both. You know, I, I didn't cover either of the games last week, but I was able to look at what happened, read the articles written by my colleague, Zach Carter. Um, and, you know, I was able to cover the Eastern Michigan and the Miami game. And, you know, you look at the records of Eastern Michigan, Buffalo, Northern Illinois, all the three teams that they beat, those are the bottom three teams in the MAC. Bowling Green has also beat Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan this year as well. Ball State lost in a great game to Miami. Bowling Green beat Miami. Um, but for me, I do think that this Ball State team is progressing. Um, and, and what's more, the guys that have been playing well all year have proved that they're not a flash in the pan. You know, you see guys in the first 10 or so games of the year go off, and then in the latter half of the season they kind of fall off. That's not the case with Bashir Jihad. He's one of the best players in the entire MAC. That's not the case with a guy like Jalen Anderson. And then you see guys like a Ben Hendricks, who really is just getting his first chance at meaningful minutes this year, really improve in, in an area that, that Ball State sorely needs it in the post. And I do think this team is improving. They've just kind of so happened to face bad teams because, honestly, you, you trace it back to the Akron game is where I think they started improving things. Yeah. Akron and Toledo, those are the two top teams in the MAC. Ball State only lost to Akron by four and Toledo by five, and that right there is improvement. 
Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's very well said that there there's a healthy balance uh, of both. But taking into account the the you know the the, the schedule that you have played, and really even after the win on uh, against North Illinois on Saturday, I think it was Zach Carter that had the story, and maybe was talking to Bashir, and Bashir said, "Hey, we know." that the schedule is going to get tougher probably in reference to this week. But in a lot of ways, right, uh, this week becomes a big week because of winning the three out of four that you just came off the uh, the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, and I mean, you have to continue this momentum because honestly, you know, you could argue that Ball State should have four wins in a row. They, they probably really shouldn't have lost that Miami game. I believe they're up 11 with four minutes left, end up losing in overtime. That right there was a sucker punch to their momentum. They were able to get it back against Buffalo and Northern Illinois. Now you have a chance to make a real dent in the max standings. Right now, if the season ended today, Ball State would be the eight seed and they would make the MAC tournament. But they're about to face the four seed and the five seed consecutively, including Saturday's game against Western Michigan on the road. These two games are going to be tough tests, but – I, I don't hate Ball State's chances, especially off two straight wins and with a home game tonight. Um, in a lot of ways, and, and you know, we mentioned this at the start of the season, that early on in the year, it felt like early on in games, it was all about getting Bashir Jihad established. And that was going to force the way that the rest of the game went. Now, about a month later after that, um, Bashir Jihad has been, I think, one of the biggest mismatches in the entire conference that you feel now when you go into games that you have the biggest matchup mismatch likely on the floor just about every game you go into. And, you know, the, the way they're establishing him is very, very different than what we saw early on. And it's made him a better player, and it's made the team uh, a better overall team. Is there something, too, that the team had to learn how to uh, really use Bashir Jihad in the best ways, and ultimately Bashir had to learn how to uh, lead the team while also getting it? Has there been a healthy balance that we're starting to get that calibrated now better than any other portion of the season? Oh, yeah. I mean, you think just just think about it. I mean, Bashir is new to this leadership role. I mean, last season he started one game, and, you know, that was his only collegiate start up until this year. And then you're asking a guy with one collegiate start under his belt to start every game and be the main, I guess. I mean, Lewis, Michael Lewis has said it himself. Bashir is the main offensive threat, and he's the anchor of the defense. So he's just being asked to essentially carry the team and this is a guy who just turned 20 years old. And what's more is he's a post threat, but he's also a three-point threat. He can drive to the basket. He can defend. I mean, really all he needs to work on is, again, in the words of Lewis, rebounding outside of his zone, which is kind of just right under the basket, and his passing a little bit more. We've seen some turnover issues with Jihad, but it's obviously going to take some time for Jihad to grow comfortably into his role and kind of establish what he needs to do, and also for his teammates to grow alongside him because you can never you can never forget, I mean, this team is very new. I mean, you look at the starting lineup, 
the only returning starter from last season is Mickey Pearson Jr. The rest are all new starters or even new players to the team in Jalen Anderson, Mason Jones, and Davion Bailey. Yeah, there, there, there's there's no question about it. Michael Lewis came on the show last week and talked about the player development aspect and how um, uh, intentional they are about that. And, you know, I could see that with Bashir, but um, we talked about Trent Middleton Jr. a little bit last week, um, uh, Coach and I did, and that's a great example. Uh, someone that they thought they could count on early, he didn't play for a couple games, then came back, even started a game with Davion Bailey going to the bench. I think Bailey's another example of the ongoing player development, but as you mentioned how new this team and inexperienced this team is, you're having to do more player development than ever in during the season um, to, to ultimately reach your goals and the the dividends you're starting to see the fruits of that labor a little bit i i mean you you said it you said it best but really player development is going to make or break ball state season i mean i i've said all year i've said it on this program i've said it when in articles i've said it when talking to just my peers the biggest issue or maybe the x factor for ball state if you will is their depth or lack thereof I mean, Michael Lewis doesn't play a lot of guys, and frankly, it's just because there's not a lot of guys who are really ready for a lot of college minutes. And if the player development continues like it is and you see guys like Trent Middleton start to play better, then you're going to have a deeper team. You're going to allow for these starters to get a breather for about two or three minutes if they need it. And I think that could really be a strength for Ball State as this uh, regular season winds down. It's Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News covers Ball State men's basketball with us in the power talk of Muncie. The new WMUN, it's Ball State in Bowling Green tonight. Um, you know, I think all of us, right, we go immediately to the stats and take a look at the the, the, the team breakdown and there's not a lot of areas that both of these teams have separation in. And the line, I think, uh, maybe suggests that as well. It's a one-and-a-half-point line with Bowling Green a slight edge. But it's much more of a pick em tonight than you would think a team that's 3-5 and five in the MAC in Bowl State in 11-9 overall and Bowling Green is 14-6 and six and 5-3 and three in conference. I wonder what's kind of the outside look as to why this kind of looks so even. But if you look at it on the numbers, it, it kind of looks like it should be exactly Exactly that an even game tonight yeah I mean these teams have honestly played a very similar schedule they've played really similar Mac opponents so far and I think why it's so close I mean you have a couple reasons Bowling Green's lost two in a row Ball State has won three out of their last four including two in a row and it's a home game for Ball State Ball State plays well at home they're eight and three at home this season and, I mean, you saw it last year. I think Ball State lost two games at home all season last year. Um, you really can never count them out, no matter who they're playing at home. And additionally, like you say, I mean, Bashir is coming off a Mac Player of the Week award. You can never really tell just how many points he's going to drop. And um, I, I would expect a very close game tonight. Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News. We'll have all the coverage tonight. Uh, Ball State Daily News doing a great job. And Kyle, uh, of course, uh, we're glad to have him on the show each and every week. Ball State Bowling Green tonight and then Ball State at Western Michigan on Saturday fall for all of the coverage. Kyle, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.
Thanks for having me, Mark. That's uh, Kyle Smedley with us. I think this is also a note to take a look at, and it's something you know uh, that was mentioned at the beginning of the season when we had Coach Michael Lewis on. How much they uh, you know dedicated themselves to the defensive end, playing fast offensively, playing well defensively, well, and in three out of the four they've won, and two of those, that being the Buffalo and Eastern Michigan games, they allowed 65 points or, or less. They allowed 62 in a win against Eastern Michigan by 14 and 59 on the road at Buffalo when they won by 28. Northern Illinois did score uh, some points late in the uh, Ball State win on Saturday to get to 71 points, but uh, Ball State was pretty close to having three straight games where they allowed the opponent under 70 points. So they're playing a a really good uh, style of defensive basketball as well, some of the watch tonight. Bowling Green Ball State, basketball coverage at 640 tonight. Thanks to Kyle Smedley, all of you. Jared Boomer in for me tomorrow. Have a good rest of your week.